we usually have stuffing. Uh, we'll have vegetables, green beans being one of them. I love, you know, anything seasonal like uh, sweet potatoes or um, one of those other things. Um, <laughs> they're related to pumpkins. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, the orange. They're like gourds, um, but you, mat- you, you bake them and you mash them up. You see them this time of year in the supermarket. That's embarrassing. I can't remember the name. Anyway. <laughs> hey, it's Mark. Now we're coming to you on a shortened Thanksgiving week with some holiday spice. Looking to enlighten your friends and family over that sliced turkey and green bean casserole? First up, we've got a recap of M&M's Media Summit. As you may have heard, the November Media Summit was a sellout, standing-room-only affair that convened a who's-who of health media experts for a candid discussion of the industry's most compelling topics. We'll bring you insights from backstage interviews I conducted with the Media Summit panelists on topics ranging from telehealth to programmatic buying to streaming. Plus, my colleague Lesha Bushak returns with a health policy update on the midterm elections. It wasn't the so-called red wave that many had expected, but... This week, I'll discuss what some of the preliminary midterm election results mean for health policy moving forward. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing and media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. So, Media Summit. Healthcare media pros who attended the event at NYC's Rockefeller Plaza earlier this month retreated to an opening keynote from NBC Universal's Yusuf Chuku and Lauren Zwiffler on making health media more relevant to diverse audiences. They also heard discussion on a host of other compelling issues. Populous Media's marketing manager, Tracy Yaw, started off the panels with a discussion about telehealth. I caught up with Tracy after her talk and we discussed how Populous, which not only offers educational content and advertising opportunities within telehealth consults, but also sends patients directly to a physician consult through existing traditional and digital media, is evolving its offering. Well, I just think it's continuing to expand all the time for exactly why we are here when we were talking about this, this last panel we just had. Everybody is continually trying to find ways to enhance the experience for the patient. And and that it, it coincides with enhancing it for the brands, because if the brands can get across, you know, what they're trying to do, that's going to help the patient. But how do you bring those two together so that it works for everybody? And that that's the thing that will continue to um, help telehealth expand. You know, if we keep moving it forward and, and everybody's working together, you know, we were talking about telling a story. It's not just about putting out a prescription or an ad for a drug. It's, it's really about learning about the patient, what they need, how they need it, you know, when can they get all, all of that. And it's important for the, the brands to have that information so that they can, you know, accurately advertise if, you know, we want to use that word to or connect with the patient. Um, so everybody's, continue, you know, trying to find ways to do that. And I was saying for populists, that's one of the things that we are we are doing, and, and some of that is about you know some of the aftercare mm-hmm. that we are that we are trying to provide the consumer through the brand, so it just doesn't end at you know going to or having the consultation with the physician 
and having seen an, an ad prior to going into that, it continues after that. You, you get the prescription. Now what happens? You, you still have your condition. You're not necessarily just cured. You may still have more questions. You may have to go back, what, what have you. They're, they're, and that's, those are more ways to grow in the whole telehealth experience. Sure. So it's really providing more of the holistic um, mm-hmm. care. Yeah. To, yeah. To it's patients. not just so. It's not just a, a, a. You know, you walk in, you get, you, you see a doctor, and that's it. It's right. from the beginning. Right. Learn about you. You know, and you have that conversation. And sometimes people go to their physician in person, and they are so busy, they don't really even hear you necessarily. You know, you're just kind of in and out, and and get you know get a prescription for whatever. I think that the telehealth experience provides for a more a better opportunity to sit and have that conversation with the physician mm-hmm. and then they learn more about you. And then there's, you learn more about yourself and your condition and it, you become a better educated consumer. And I think it just kind of, it's, you know, once one learns something, the other learns something and you just keep building off of that. Yeah. And you just reminded me that you, you did a study, um, publicist media did, um, of, uh, the telehealth consumer audience. Mm-hmm. And one of the most surprising findings was that patients, uh, thought that the telehealth, uh, interaction was, uh, less expensive, um, mm-hmm. than an in-person interaction, mm-hmm. somewhat, somewhat surprising. Cause I guess a lot of people thought that they would have to pay for that or that their insurance wouldn't reimburse, right. reimburse for it or whatnot. Right. And, and convenience also Absolutely. was a big motivating factor. Talk, talk about that a little well, bit. Well, I mean, just as simple as gas. I mean, you don't have to drive there. And, you know, gas has been so high. You know, the price of gas has been so high. I mean, they don't have to, they don't have the expense of that. They don't necessarily have the expense of taking half a day from work, you know, to drive to the doctor or sit there and wait and, and go back. Mm-hmm. It, there's just so many conveniences to that. And uh, I think, yeah, I think people who are new to telehealth are very surprised by all of those factors that you just don't necessarily think about it. But once you experience it, you see it in a whole different light and, and the, sure. the value that it can be given to, you know, many different, you know, many different types of, uh, of people or communities. I also asked Tracy how pharma brands can play a meaningful role in educating patients by enhancing the virtual care encounter. Well, it's just specifically by educating the consumer. I mean, I think that's one of the most important ways that they can play a role. You, you get an ad thrown at you on the TV screen, you know, it's 30 seconds or whatever, and then you get somebody talking really quick about all the side effects, and you can't really listen to it. You don't really digest it. You just hear what about the condition, and then there's a drug name that possibly could treat it. How many people actually go back and, and say, oh, yeah, and I'm going to research it, and I'm going to find out what that is? You know, probably I, I would say the percentage of that is very small. With the telehealth console, if you're going – the way that we have um, set it up, if you're going into it, the brands have put together an ad prior to going into meeting the physician. So while they're sitting there in that, so to speak, dead space in the waiting room, they're seeing an ad about, well, they're learning about more about their condition, first of all, and then they're seeing an ad that's connected to their condition for a prescription that will help them. But it's a little, it's more than just that, you know, ad on the TV screen, but the best part of it is that you're going immediately into a health uh, consultation. So you're going to ask about that right then and there. And your doctor can then, um, you know, explain more about that. So it's by the brands doing that, they're immediately giving you that information to take into your appointment, your consultation, mm-hmm. 
to have that educated conversation rather than being like, oh, what was that drug that I saw on TV, you know, right. you know, five weeks ago, you know, and it was for something, but I, you know, you just, so it's important, or I think it's one of the ways brands are helping this is by putting their, their ads and in, into these, um, con- into the telehealth consult. Right. While they're waiting. To Correct. Speak with their and HCP. then providing information for the patients afterwards. I mean, it just doesn't stop after the consult, you know, and if they can, mm-hmm. Um, provide more information about what's next and all of that. It just makes the experience for the consumer that much more beneficial. Telehealth usage, of course, saw a huge jump during the pandemic. Video visits have leveled off. So I asked y'all where she sees utilization headed. I think it could go anywhere. I mean, it, it, it could even go beyond just, I mean, I know we're talking about telehealth, but the, the, the reaching, the far reach, they were talking about it, the far reaching ability of, of um, telehealth is pretty limitless. I mean, I, I think people are seeing that and they're getting on board, which is why the broadband is a thing that they were talking about because you need that to provide that kind of access to people who don't have it. If they don't have it, then they can't, you know, obviously use telehealth and experience that. So that's that's a huge step forward for those people. And you know, specifically, he was talking about like epilepsy. If you, you can't drive necessarily if you have epilepsy. But if you can turn on your computer... And sit right there, you're going to get that help and that information that you need mm-hmm. that you might not otherwise have. I just, I think the other point that was made was that it needs to be authentic. It's easy to, I think, to get lost in the, the whole system of it. But if, if everybody just continues to stay authentic, what do we need? Are we providing what they need? That's a, that, I think that's a huge space that can be filled. Sure. Just keep, to stay focused on. And, and look at the patient as a whole, not just, you know, somebody sitting there with a condition and, you know, so that goes back to providing aftercare and, and whatnot. And right, right. it can go, you know, beyond that, but that's kind of where it is. And it just can continue to grow from there. Next up, I sat down with panelists from the Get With The Programmatic session. Jeremy Mittler, head of Crossix Audience Segments and Louis Namoli, director of Programmatic for Haymarket Media. Haymarket, by the way, is the parent company of MMM. On stage, Mittler and Namoli discussed how to leverage programmatic ad buying to reach HCPs and the state of the state in programmatic ad buying. When I spoke with them offstage, they addressed whether healthcare media mavens are focusing on endemic media or if programmatic buys are extending to non-endemic as well. We were talking about this a bit during the session, but um, it's arrived. You know, as we said, healthcare has gotten a bad rap, like rightly or wrongly, over the years of always being behind, right? Always being behind from a technology standpoint, always being behind from an analytics standpoint, a data standpoint, kind of from every which way, at least as far as programmatic goes, it's not the case. You know, you you know it because every media plan, not every, like 99% of media plans have programmatic components in them. And there's no more a question of, or no longer a question of, should we be doing this? But how much should we be doing this? It's much more, I think, the question that, that advertisers ask. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like demonstrated the, the growth and the, the fact that programmatic is here to stay. Is like mm-hmm. all of your big agencies that we're working with that have worked on HCP or patient or both, they f- have full you know, media teams and then they have full programmatic shops, whether it's programmatic planners, in-house programmatic buying. We're seeing that across the board um, and even some brands are taking those responsibilities in-house because programmatic is such a big part um, of what they're doing in the media environment. So I I think it definitely is here, like Jeremy said. 
Are you saying, you know, on that, on that point, Lewis, that uh, a lot of pharma brands are in-housing this function? Yeah. Yeah. I know we, we reported on M&M uh, that Bayer was one that was, was doing yeah, that. Yeah, I think they're the, the biggest and probably mm-hmm. the most in the spotlight. Um, I'm trying to think of any, like, everyone is kind of doing it, just mm-hmm. not to that extent, I would say. Uh, there was a good thing in campaign, actually, that I was reading this weekend while preparing for this about a... Uh, Australian pharma company that has hmm. 100% in-house using, I think, the same exact company that Bayer actually did. So mm-hmm. it's happening. Um, and I, I think we'll, we'll start to see more of that over the coming years. Sure, sure. So if they're in-housing, then, you know, all the more so they, they've, they've caught up, as you were saying, Jeremy, it's no mm-hmm. longer a question. Uh, what are the keys, you know, for pharma brands to take advantage of this? So I think it's in doing a really good, thorough job of planning and being clear about strategies, right? So we were saying in the session, most pharma media campaigns actually are trying to execute on multiple strategies at the same time. So maybe broad awareness, raising awareness of my brand or finding patients later in the patient journey and getting them to convert to different examples, but multiple strategies and being very clear about tying strategy all the way through to channel, goal, KPI, and data that's used. Super clear about it, and then coordinating that across all of the different levers, I guess, that they have. I mean, Lewis, you were saying there's now trading desks devoted to programmatic, while there's separate teams devoted to social and separate teams devoted to TV. And there's more than that, but if you just look at that, making sure that if it's the same strategy being executed across those three teams in those three channels, that it's the same data and the same KPIs and so on. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is kind of the next level of kind of being really, really good and smart about executing programmatically. Sure. What are you both most excited about, about the future of the, this technology? I think what excites me is the fact that pharma actually has kind of caught up. Um, I've been, feels like screaming at the top of my lungs for the last couple of years to, to get people interested into channels like audio and CTV and my favorite digital out of home. And we're finally there. Brands mm-hmm. are starting to understand there's value in things that aren't one-to-one for HCP anymore. And there's value in reaching um, patients and HCPs with channels that aren't considered like traditional, but are still a big part of people's lives. Um, and that, I think is what excites me the most because with that, with that adoption become, uh, comes more kind of technology and investment in the companies and the infrastructure that are allowing those things to happen, those types of DSPs or those types of networks. So it, it kind of pushes the entire space forward um, mm-hmm. now that pharma is finally buying in and adopting some of these newer um, channels. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we sit in this very fun and unique intersection between media, healthcare, I would throw privacy into the mix. And all three of those are at a point from like a broad industry standpoint where things are changing all of the time. And so it's not just one industry rapidly changing, it's three rapidly changing. And sitting at the intersection means for us, there's just a world of innovation that is possible. Um, so kind of seeing what's next, right? What does the mm-hmm. industry come out with for everything from a technology standpoint, from a data standpoint, from a measurement standpoint, from a planning standpoint, execution wise. Um, 
you know, there's no shortage of problems to solve because you're at this really unique and fun intersection. Um, and so like, how are they going to get solved? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we saw last year in our healthcare marketer survey that healthcare marketers said that they upped their video and nonlinear TV investments by about 13%. Mm-hmm. It's 13% said they increased them, uh, which is kind of, uh, to your point, Lewis. And, yeah. and we will, we also look forward to seeing what's next, you know, as, as healthcare marketers get more into the digital, digital advertising. Uh, we, we put out a report, we, we put out a report annually uh, at Viva Crossix, but one of the recent ones called out audio is rapidly growing within pharma out of home, rapidly growing within pharma. And that's on top of everybody knows the TV and CTV in, in, in particular, rapidly growing. And so you certainly see more use of more channels. Um, and I think just, you know, for every brand, what's the right mix of those? Just like what's the right mix of tools, of programmatic versus endemic and, and other things um, becomes more of an interesting strategic exercise to go through. But a lot of increased usage of, of, quote, newer channels, I'd say, over the last few years, for sure. Our final behind-the-scenes chat with Allison Sanwanello, Senior Director of Sales at Samsung Ads, and Eric Lloyd, Head of Industry at Roku, delved into streaming platforms, which represent a new venture for many in the media world. Allison and Eric led a talk focused on how healthcare marketers, who have been tantalized by the possibility of collaborating with the streaming world's top platforms, but frustrated by the lack of ad-supported tiers, are preparing to take advantage of the opportunities that may soon present themselves on the likes of Netflix and Disney+. First, I asked them to comment on the recent news that Netflix was debuting an ad-supported tier of its own. In our space, seeing a Netflix, a Disney+, Plus offering up an ad-supported tier really speaks to the demand that they'll see from consumers. And I think it's, it's great for the overall industry that we're getting more premium content that will be ad-supported. I think the one thing to keep in mind is that given streaming TV's lower ad loads, more relevant advertising that's targeted to consumers provides a better experience overall. And I think that's the advantage of people that come into streaming who maybe cut the cord and were were broadcast uh, customers before. And I think this is just going to continue to push that in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. sure. More content available. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I think it was, it's really exciting, almost giddy about it. And the fact that it pretty much supports everything that we've been doing for the past how many years and just allowing, like you, like Eric said, more um, accessibility for consumers and then also more possibilities for brands to, to reach mm-hmm. these, these different uh, patient populations and their consumer we then segued over to how enthusiasm is building for these kinds of opportunities in health. Here's their take. Yeah, I think now they're becoming more and more enthusiastic. You know, it's they're not going to be the ones to first try out anything in the pharma space, but we've re- we've reached that point where brands are starting to become more familiar with it and more, um, you know, just reliant on the ability to to target specific patient populations and to be able to then be surprised that they could actually measure it and and see like the results of it is really refreshing so um you know we've seen this grow year over year at samsung ads but you know i think it's really going to continue to accelerate from here on out allison and eric finished off by sharing tips for how health brands can safely take advantage of these new offerings and what's coming down the pike next in terms of ad inventory on streaming media if I look at 
this vertical specifically, I think giving marketers the confidence with measurement solutions, with uh, understanding of incrementality versus linear TV, showing how this is really going to drive business results for them is, is huge. And CTV is sometimes considered an innovation in and of itself, just even running media against it. But there's also content opportunities. There's also interactivity opportunities that we think will drive meaningful results and not just something that is, is fun to brag about in, in your brand meetings. And I think as we prove out those things over the course of the next year or so, that's going to drive a, a lot more adoption. Um, and we're already seeing it trickle now, but I think that there is going to be a, a lot more information and data on how effective streaming television is at driving those business results that we'll see a lot of marketers adopt it more so than they are already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Allison, would you like to have the last word? Yeah, I mean, really, Eric hit it on the head of um, just leaning into the the targeting capabilities measurement, um, but then you know also looking at the household holistically of seeing how they're viewing content, linear versus uh, CTV. How can you combine those efforts and? Um, look at that to mm-hmm. be able to see where you're missing audiences, where you need to reach them, where they're over-frequencied, and to manage that all-encompassing to provide, you know, just as the consumer sees the TV, one screen, and marketers should go about that as well, looking at it that way. The day ended with panels talking about the unique aspects of media buying on such venues as point-of-care media and podcasts. Suffice it to say, this media summit did not disappoint. Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. Most of the dust has begun to settle after the midterm elections, and Congress is split. Democrats currently hold the Senate by a slight majority, pending the Georgia runoff in December, and the House is controlled by the Republicans by a narrow margin. When taking a look at what that spells for health policy moving into 2023, experts say a divided Congress will lead to gridlock when it comes to passing any major new health care legislation. We're likely to see incredibly enough, even more gridlock in Washington, even more partisan strife, and probably fewer solid results in almost any area of health policy. That's John Bigelow, executive director of the Coalition for Healthcare Communication. There's also likely to be fewer of these big COVID-era omnibus bills. And in a closely divided Congress, it's very difficult to enact individual pieces of healthcare policy as legislation. Further pushes on drug pricing regulation are not likely to be proposed or passed, and abortion rights will mostly be left to the states. Still, it shouldn't be totally quiet on the health policy front. The FDA has plenty of policy issues on its plate heading into 2023, including reforming the accelerated approval pathway. Dr. Califf has done a lot to calm the waters after a rocky period for the FDA, but he's still under pressure to take further action to uh, more sharply define what is allowed as accelerated approvals, what to do about opioids, how to handle the vaping and tobacco issues. So those things will still be out there. Plus, there are a few areas that have bipartisan backing and may be explored in Congress in the next year. Those include boosting mental health services, battling the opioid crisis, and protecting health data privacy, all of which have been highlighted by lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. I'm Lisha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. 
That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.